I'm uh, station manager Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Jane, you ignorant slut. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. 3-605.10.20.22.24.26.50.70.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.0.
this trying to nail impressions of celebrities and, and political figures. And Chevy Chase was just like, I'm playing Gerald Ford. And that's all he did. And he talked in riddles and he talked in questions. And it was just all about the attitude of Gerald Ford, not how Gerald Ford sounded. And the first sketch ends, I don't know why they put this on an album, but the first sketch ends with a pratfall, which you can't see because it's an album. But you know something happens because Chevy Chase is talking, all of a sudden you hear a crash, and then he says, live from New York, it's Saturday night. And at this point, it was Saturday night. It wasn't Saturday night live, it was Saturday night. Because there was another show called Howard Cosell's Saturday Night Live. So Saturday Night could not use Saturday Night Live because that was already being used. So the actual name of the show was NBC's Saturday Night. But with the intro, we would say live from New York at Saturday Night. That was the catchphrase, but that was not the title. That was our first sketch. Then we go into Don Pardo. Don Pardo introducing the cast. And to me, Don Pardo is Saturday Night Live. Don Pardo, when I hear Don Pardo's voice, I think of Saturday Night Live. He was a massive part of Saturday Night Live for so many years. He is just associated with Saturday Night Live in my brain, and I'm sure with a lot of people's brains. And he does his intros and he does segues throughout this entire album. It was just nice to hear Don Pardo's voice again. Just a a distinctive voice, a powerful voice, and he got in on the sketches on some of it. So uh, nice. It was just nice to hear Don Pardo again. He doesn't get enough credit of being an important part of Saturday Night Live. Then we go into a monologue, and it's Lily Tomlin. We hear Lily Tomlin's monologue. And Mil and Lily Tomlin, not really known. I mean, she was a stand-up. She put out several comedy albums. I own I own all of them. She's considered to be a, char uh, a character actress, a, a funny actress. But she is, was also a stand-up. She did stand-up as characters a lot of time. But here she does a straight stand-up monologue of observational humor. And when you think of observational humor of the time, I think of David Brenner, who was uh, the predecessor of Jerry Seinfeld. But Lily Tomlin here does a great job of just being an observational comedian. She observed New York and she was giving a lot of just observational humor, which precedes Jerry Seinfeld and was, you know, right on par with, with David Brenner at the time. Not enough credit, once again, given to Lily Tomlin for being an excellent stand-up comedian of her time or of any time. She's, like I said, she's, also, she's known for being a very, very funny character actress. She does a lot of one-woman plays and, uh, you know, you know one-woman concerts. But this was just a straight stand-up, very, very funny. Very, very great way to start off the album. Then we go to a commercial parody, and that has Ann Beats in it, who was a, a writer on the original Saturday Night Live, and it's a, it's a drug commercial. A lot of the commercials and a lot of the things we're going to talk about on this album were very, very new to television. Saturday Night Live was definitely pushing the envelope at the time. A lot of stuff on here that you would not hear before on television, which was, it was, you know, it was just... You couldn't do that on TV at the time. Now, them being in a late-night spot probably helped them get a lot of stuff past the censors. And honestly, they would say I, the, the censors weren't hip enough to catch a lot of jokes. And what I've read before is a lot of them would write just outrageous jokes. 
and the censored would say, well, you can't do that joke. That joke is that joke is awful. Well, then can we do this joke? And that joke was the joke they really wanted to do. So they would write a joke that was so outlandish, so over the top, that the censors would say no. And then they would look at this other joke, which is tamer, and the joke they wanted to do and say, well, that joke is fine. So there was a lot of battling with the censors on the early years of Saturday Night Live. And this first commercial parody is about speed. Ann Beats plays a housewife, and she's just running off at the mouth about how all the stuff she has to do on her day. And, and her talking just gets faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And then we get the voiceover, speed, the, the, the diet pill that works for you. That is the, that's the gist of what was happening the first year in Saturday Night Live. Once again, pushing the boundaries. So we're three tracks into this album, and we've only heard from one Saturday Night Live member. Well, it's and beats, but the, the not ready for primetime players. We've only heard from one. We've heard from Chevy Chase. We finally get into we get into the next sketch, which is called Bedtime Story. And it features Jane Curtin, Dan Aykroyd, and Gilda Radner. And when I say it features Jane Curtin, it doesn't really feature Jane Curtin. Jane Curtin has like three lines at the beginning of the sketch and she leaves. Not a lot of things for Jane Curtin to do on this album. This is a bedtime story where Dan Aykroyd is playing this garage mechanic and Gilda Radner is playing her, his daughter and she has that, that young daughter voice which she will make into a character later, into the, later in the series and on her, her, on her Broadway. The, the little girl who played in the room by herself, this is a predecessor to that. You can see that character and this character that she's doing. And the sketch is called Bedtime Story where... Gilda Radner wants a bedtime story, and her dad just tells her how the day went at the, at the garage. The, the sketch itself, not incredibly funny, but this is a, this is a character-driven sketch. Dan Aykroyd does an excellent low-key New York mechanic. He's not doing an over-the-top, hey, I'm walking here. He's not doing that. He's doing a low-key, you know, he's maintaining... Uh, you know, a, a level New York attitude mechanic, and Gilda Radner is playing the the bright-eyed, inquisitive little girl. Even though the lines may not be that funny, Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner, who work well together in the sketch, and it works better on LP than in seeing it, because when you see it, you can see that they're clearly the same age, but hearing it, it sounds like a dad and a daughter. This is one of the sketches where the audio is helped by not having any video. And it's a character-driven sketch, and it's a nice, fun sketch. And it ends with Gilda Radner asking about how to give a car a lube job or something like that. Then we go to Shimmer. And this is a commercial. This is another commercial parody that features, in the last sketch, Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner were uh, dad and daughter. In this one, they're husband and wife. And they're arguing over Shimmer. Is Shimmer and a dessert topping or is Shimmer a floor wax? Another commercial parody. And Chevy Chase comes in. Usually in commercial parodies with this, we see Dan Aykroyd doing the fast-talking commercial spokesman. But in this one, it's reversed. Chevy Chase is the commercial spokesman, and Dan Aykroyd is the character in the commercial. You usually see it the other way around. And Chevy Chase does a great job. He's, he's not like Dan Aykroyd. He doesn't deliver it fast-paced, staccato. Like, he delivers it as a used car salesman. 
He's convincing you that this is the product that you need. He's not, Dan Aykroyd, when he does spokesman, he concentrates on facts. When Chevy Chase does it, he's concentrating on attitude. He's concentrating on, you need this. If you don't have this, there's something wrong with you. So it was a nice switch to see uh, Chevy Chase doing a, a spokesman instead of Dan Aykroyd. And, and it's a fun sketch. It's fun. The, the punchline is Dan Aykroyd is eating the shimmer while Gilda Radner is mopping the floors with shimmer. And the punchline to this one is shimmer. It's the best shine you've ever tasted. Now we go to the gun control. This is one of the longer sketches on there. And once again, it's Chevy Chase. <laughs> and once again, now Jane Curtin is in the sketch. This is the longest sketch that she's in on the album. On this album, this was a male-dominated writing staff. I know Ann Beats was on, on the writing staff, and I know they had other female writers on the writing staff. But on this one, not a really strong female voice in these sketches for the, for the female characters. Because in this one, it's called Gun Control. In this sketch, Jane Curtin is hoping that Chevy Chase will propose to her. She's a woman. She needs a man. She doesn't care what the cost is. She just needs a man. And Chevy Chase comes, knocks at the door. He's supposed to be duck hunting. He's carrying a rifle. She says, I see the dog. The, the gist of the sketch is Chevy Chase, he shoots Jane Curtin's dog. He shoots her son, John Belushi. He shoots her daughter, Lorraine Newman. He actually ends up shooting her, and he shoots himself. This sketch was all Chevy Chase. Lorraine Newman had two lines before she got shot. John Belushi had two lines before he got shot. Jane Curtin in this sketch, her only reason in this sketch was to keep justifying why it was okay for Chevy Chase to keep shooting all these people because she wanted to be married so bad. So, not the strongest female character. It's a funny sketch, but... As I said, it wasn't a strong a female character, not a strong female voice uh, in this sketch. The next one on there is Fondue. And this is a solo sketch with Garrett Morris. And this is uh, Garrett Morris's time to shine on the album. He doesn't have a lot to do on the album. This is his, his shining moment where he plays a South African prince. And he's asking America for all the fondue dishes that they have. Uh, he said, you know, I know you get fondue dishes for anniversary presents and birthdays, and you put them up the back of your closet. We can use these fondue kits to, to entertain our enemies. It was, a, it was a silly little sketch that got lots and lots of laughs. And Garrett Morris plays an excellent South African prince. It's short and sweet. I want your fondue sets. I want the long forks. And he, he, he gives an address to send them to South America. Short, sweet sketch. And it shows a bit of Garrett Morris's character work, which he does very, very nicely. Then we have Dueling Brandos, which is a fantastic sketch. This sketch features John Belushi and Peter Boyle, young Frankenstein, taxi driver, everybody loves Raymond. They both do killer Marlon Brando impressions. And while the tune Dueling Banjos is playing in the background, they go back and forth saying famous lines from Brando movies and then they break off from saying famous lines from Brando movies and just start saying silly phrases in Brando's voice going back and forth back and forth back and forth to me I can't help but think that this was just a silly title that turned into a great sketch 
somebody that's thought, you know, dueling banjos, that sounds like dueling brandos. And everybody knew that Belushi could do a brando. And they found out that Peter Boyle could do a brando. And it's, as I said, it's a dated sketch, right? Most people nowadays, I know it's a shame, but don't know, doesn't know who Marlon Brando is. But those two nailed it. Those two nailed it going back and forth. The timing in the sketch is great. The, the verbiage in the sketch is great. The pacing in the sketch is great. Two pros. It's two pros being at the top of their game. Just one making the other look great and back and forth. So kudos to John Belushi. This is really, Belushi has one other sketch on here, but this is the one where he he really, really shines. You really, really see the John Belushi that's going to come, the, the character work, how he puts into it, how he, was, he wants to get everything right in these sketches. And Peter Boyle, a lot of times when these actors would come on Saturday Night Live, they weren't comedians. So they had a hard time working with comedians. But Peter Boyle, he just blended right into the sketch. He just jumped right in, and he did a fantastic job. So one of the high points of this album is the dueling Brandos with Peter Boyle and John Belushi. And when they're speaking in unison, word for word, at the end of the sketch, that is impressive. They don't miss a beat. They are both saying the same thing at the same time, as Brando. Then we go to Anne Freud. It's a sketch about Sigmund Freud's daughter, Anne. Once again, the thankless job of Jane Curtin. She introduces the sketch, and that's all she has to do in the sketch. Dan Aykroyd and Lorraine Newman are in this sketch. And of all the sketches I've usually seen when the sketches of Dan Aykroyd and Lorraine Newman, Dan Aykroyd does all the talking in the sketch, and Lorraine Newman is a secondary character. The nice thing about this sketch is it is flipped. So Dan Aykroyd is reacting to Lorraine Newman in this sketch. And this is Lorraine Newman's chance to shine on this album. She's talking about a dream she had about... She's basically talking about... She had a dream she had about having sex with her father. Once again, very, very controversial uh, for TV at the time. They're talking about... They're talking about incest in, in German accents. And you know what she's talking about, but it's, it's, it's very, very funny. And it's, it's not, they're not beating you over the head with it. It's very, very subtle. And it gets less subtle and less subtle and less subtle as the, as the explanation goes on. And it actually gets kind of graphic in a childish way I don't know if that makes any sense because she's telling her father that she had a dream about having sex with him the the kicker of the sketch is she said the, the man with the beard who looks like you daddy gave me a banana and that was the only banana that I put in my mouth and then the punchline of the sketch is the old uh, when somebody says sometimes just a cigar is a cigar the punchline to the sketch is, well, sometimes a banana is just a banana. And Freud. That was Lorraine Newman's uh, chance to shine on this album. I will say this. There was a small cast. There were seven of them. In some of these sketches, such as the uh, gun control sketch and uh, Anne Freud, these main actors had to play bit parts in sketches. It's not like today where there's 27 people on Saturday Night Live. So they can just get a featured player to come in, 
to come in and and deliver a line and leave. These this was the main cast. So the main cast had to do the tiniest roles in these sketches and they do it. I'm I know John Belushi wasn't happy about it. You've heard that time and time again. He was not happy about his small roles in the first season of Saturday Night Live. But they were professionals. They knew it needed to be done to get the sketch on, so they did it. I applaud to Lorraine Newman and Garrett Morris and Jane Curtin, who may have not had the biggest roles on Saturday Night Live, but the roles they did do, no matter how small, they did it, and they did it well. So kudos to all of them being team players. Then we end the first side of the album with Paul Simon. The first season had... The bee sketch, where everybody would come in dressed as bees. And John Belushi hated doing the bee sketch. He hated it. He, he just dreaded every time having to get into a bee costume. And the first side ends with Paul Simon saying, Oh no, we've canceled the bee sketch. I, I don't know why they ended it on this sketches. Because once again, this is a visual sketch where... You have to imagine all these actors in bee costumes standing around Paul Simon, and he looks at him and says, we're not doing the bee sketch this time. The first sketch of side A with a sight gag, and they've ended side A with a sight gag. Maybe not the best thing to do on a record? I don't know. And I say they end it because that that's not where it ends. Because at the end, after the no bee sketch, it ends with a promo for Macmillan and Wife. It says, don't forget to catch Macmillan and Wife with Julie Newmar. And I looked it up. That show came out on November 9th, 1975. So they're putting, they're putting promos to shows on this album. I don't know if it was, if NBC demanded it. It just, it's just weird that they put in actual promos for shows. It's great nostalgically to hear that. But it makes no sense on the album, as such as you know, starting it with a Coke commercial. It made no sense with starting with a Coke commercial. It makes no sense with starting it with a Macmillan and Wife promo. But that's how they started it. So that was side one. Now we flip it over and we're on side two. And side two, if you saw Chevy Chase was in a lot in side one, Chevy Chase is in 90% of side two. This is definitely Chevy Chase's album. I mentioned before that John Belushi was not happy with some of his roles in season one, and what he was most not happy about was all the screen time going to Chevy Chase and all the attention going to Chevy Chase. And when Chevy Chase left after the first year, John Belushi was thrilled. That was his kick in the pants to be the number one person on that show from that point on. He wasn't going to let anybody steal the spotlight from him. So side two, and side two is mostly a weekend update which was Chevy Chase. We get the weekend update intro with Don Pardo. The jokes that we get right off the bat, we get a blowjob joke, a sex joke, and a dick joke. These are one right after the other on side two. And this was 1975, 1975, 1976 television. I know there's been a lot of weekend update people over the years. Chevy Chase in my opinion, did it right. There weren't these silly bits 
in between, it was it was just him. He delivered one joke after the other. It was very, very rapid fire. If a joke got a laugh, he would pause for the laugh. If a joke didn't get the laugh, he'd jump into the other joke. And then he just, there was, he knew when to wait and he knew when not to wait. So it wasn't clogged up with all this other stuff. It was very, very funny. It was very, very rapid fire. It got the jokes across. And that's what you need to do in Weekend Update. And there were so many jokes, if one didn't hit, you could go right on to the next one. He never commented. If a joke didn't work, he never commented on it. He just went to the next one. If a joke didn't work, he acted like he did and went to the next one. So Chevy Chase really nailed the weekend update. And in my opinion of all the weekend update people, besides Norm, I like Norm MacDonald, but Norm MacDonald and Chevy Chase really did it the best in my opinion. And during the weekend update, there's a, a a mock commercial for Spud Beer. And it's about shock treatment. And after you're done with shock treatment, you like a Spud Beer. Because I'm guessing because it's this bland potato beer. Uh, of all the stuff that was... Of all the commercial parodies on season one, they could have come up with something better than that. That was just a pretty lame joke. A pretty lame joke, a pretty lame commercial parody about Spud Beer. Very, very forgettable. They could have come up with something better, in my opinion, to put in that commercial. The only thing I can think of is if that was the actual commercial that they aired during this portion of the weekend update and they didn't edit it. They just they just put the entire weekend update on the album like it was. If that's the case, eh, but... It was an album. They could have put anything they wanted on it. They could have edited it any way they want. They could have put in, they could have put a more powerful, a more funnier uh, joke, commercial parody. We come back. Chevy Chase does more jokes. He does he does a dope joke. He does a testicle joke. They were really, really having fun with the censors. They were really, really having fun with pushing the envelope in the mid seventies. They were really, really wanting to change television, and they were doing it. They probably didn't realize they were doing it at the time, but they were really, really pushing it, getting more stuff on there, you know, slipping stuff past the censors. And kudos to them. I'm a comedian nowadays, and I don't think I could be doing half the stuff that I'm doing if it wasn't for Saturday Night Live in the early 70s. Now we come to where John Belushi is the weatherman. And this is a character that he perfected during the run of Saturday Night Live, his time on Saturday Night Live, where he would be sitting next to Chevy Chase or Jane Curtin, and he would either give the weather or he would give his opinion on something. This time he's doing the weatherman, and he's just doing puns on marches in like a uh, in like a lion, out like a lamb. And he's just he's coming in other you know in one country it comes in like a carpenter ant and goes out like a lemur. He's just going back and forth. The This was Belushi's ability to take something that is kind of mundane and kind of not funny and make it funny. Because if you just saw what was written, if you just saw the written words in front of you, it wouldn't be funny. But the way Belushi is doing it, and this hurts, this is one of the things on the album that hurts not seeing, is seeing Belushi's face. A lot of Belushi's acting came through his face, came through his eyebrows, came through his expressions. And just the fact that he can make something that was kind of bland funny just with his voice, 
It was it was really really funny seeing it on his face, seeing him emote. Belushi had the ability just to take something that was reading the phone book and making it funny. He really really had that ability, and that's what he does here. And he just goes, he just and he does an excellent slow burn. The only other person I know who does a slow burn as good as Belushi was Jack Benny. To me, Jack Benny and John Belushi were able just to cultivate the slow burn. Just slowly, slowly getting more angrier. And you know something's going on, but you don't really know what's something going on. Then you, oh no, this is happening. And then when they blow their top at the end, it's just really, really funny. John Belushi nails the slow burn weatherman in this. Then we get a call in from Emily Latella. We know Emily Latella. That is one of Gilda Radner's uh, uh, prize characters, Emily Latella. And she's the only character we get to hear. We don't get uh, Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana. Gilda Radner had a bunch of characters, but so we're listening to Emily Latella calls in. Funny as always, Gilda Radner. We lost her way too soon. She just had something about her where you just looked at her and you adored her. And not only did you adore her, you were laughing. You never laughed at her. You were always laughing with her, no matter what character she was doing. No matter what part she played, you were laughing with her. And you would, you just, for, I guess love might be too strong of a word, but you just loved Gilda Radner when you saw her do anything. Playing that cute little girl, playing Emily Latella. You just wanted to take her in your arms and hug her. So, if that sounds weird or not. She nails Emily Latella. Her and Chevy Chase actually play off each other quite well, uh, going back and forth with the confusion of Emily Latella. So, it was nice to hear, I said before, it was nice to hear Don Pardo. It was really, really nice again to hear both John Belushi and Gilda Radner. But to hear Gilda do one of her signature characters, always great to hear. Now we come to the bit that makes uh, Garrett Morris. I feel bad for Garrett Morris because he had this running bit in the first season when they were doing news for the hard of hearing. And Garrett Morris, so Chevy Chase would say, and Garrett Morris here is uh, from the school of hard, you know, from the news for hard for hearing. And Chevy Chase would just say a storyline, our top story, and Garrett Morris would just yell it, would just yell, we just repeat, yell, whatever Chevy Chase said, and it is so simple, and it's so stupid, and it's so funny. I can't believe nobody thought of something like that earlier. Just somebody yelling the news at somebody, yelling at the hard of hearing, and that was only for the first season. So Garrett Morris had that great bit, but they could only do it for one season because Chevy Chase left after that season and they didn't keep it up afterwards. Iconic. That's what this is. This is iconic. It was only one year, but that but whenever you whenever you see that, whenever you hear that, it's just an iconic sketch. It's an iconic part of our television past. Uh, Garrett Morris and Chevy Chase. That's it with the weekend update. Then we go to a next sketch that has Chevy Chase in it again. Chevy Chase, let's make no doubt about it, Chevy Chase was the star of Saturday Night Live that first year. We saw glimpses of the others, what was going to happen, but for that first year, it was Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase basically was Saturday Night Live, which is the best and worst thing that could have happened to him. It was good for him because he got those movie deals and all that, but it was bad for him because he said to... He said himself, it went to his head, 
And he left because he felt he was getting too big for the show. <clears throat> maybe if the fame was a little more spread out, maybe he would have stuck around. And who knows? Would Bill Murray still have gotten on the show if Chevy Chase didn't leave? A whole lot of what-ifs if Chevy Chase wasn't the main guy that first season of Saturday Night Live. But he was the main guy. And he's in this next sketch called Uvula. And Lorraine Newman and Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner has a, a her uvula is shot, and Chevy Chase just plays a uvula doctor. And Chevy Chase just comes in as a doctor and says, you got to take better care of your uvula. This is one of those sketches where you just repeat a funny word over and over again, and the more times you repeat it, the more silly it sounds. They just kept repeating uvula, uvula, uvula. And it's a word that sounds dirty, but it's not. Because when it's first said, I think a lot of people thought it might have been something else, but it wasn't. It's a uvula. It's that little dangly thing in the back of your throat. This is just a, a part of this being silly. It's just a silly sketch that works. Now we come to Jimmy Carter. And this is Dan Aykroyd. This is uh, Dan Aykroyd's shining sketch. He does, unlike Chevy Chase, who did Gerald Ford, Dan Aykroyd nails Jimmy Carter, nails him as the president. And that was Dan Aykroyd's gift. He was a fantastic impressionist. I've heard more than one person say that Dan Aykroyd was the glue that kept the show together for the first couple of years. His ability to do all these characters. Because not a lot of them were character uh, people, not a lot of them were impressionists, but Dan Aykroyd was. And he, as I said, nails Jimmy Carter. He makes Jimmy Carter sound like a... The sketch is basically Jimmy Carter saying that I'm a pervert, I like women, and if you elect me to the president, I will sleep with each and every one of you ladies. And he plays a sleazy Jimmy Carter to the T. Nothing funnier than a southern man trying to pick up a country full of women. Uh, Dan Aykroyd shows what he can do as an impressionist in this sketch. Can't say how much... The sketch is dated, because once again, Jimmy Carter as president. But if you just look at the technical aspect of it, and we miss the gestures that Dan Aykroyd... Dan Aykroyd also gets hand gestures and facial tics. He also nails those. You can't see them on the album. But just the voice alone, the voice alone, he nails Jimmy Carter. The next sketch is... <laughs> it, the next sketch is the Chevy Chase song, during the first season of Saturday Night Live, Chevy Chase did a pratfall and he cracked some ribs and he had to sit out a couple of weeks. So during one of the weeks he was out, Lorraine, Jane, and Gilda sang the, sang the Chevy Chase song. They were Chevy's girls. So even when Chevy Chase is not in a sketch, they're singing about him in a sketch, which just proves how big he was at the time. The girls have great harmony together. They all have great voices. And it's just a song praising Chevy Chase. And I can't help... If, if I was Chevy Chase and I heard that, my ego would inflate too. It's like, I'm not even there. And they're singing about me. Now, I know it was done for comedic effect, but it had to help boost the ego. And I don't know if the women wanted to do that or if they were forced to do that, but they did it. They sang great three-part harmony. The, the lyrics are funny. It's just a nice little great song about Chevy Chase, a person who wasn't even there. And I know that had to be biting the ass of all of them, especially John Belushi. 
I don't know how much John Belushi hated Chevy Chase. Chevy downplays it, but I've read books that just he just hated. He just hated the fact that Chevy Chase was getting all this attention. And the fact that he wasn't even there and they were singing songs about him just really had to chap his ass. So I'm glad I said what would have happened if Chevy Chase didn't leave. What did happen was John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd rose to the top of Saturday Night Live with their characters. So you got to take the good with the bad. So that was a Chevy Chase song. The three women sing about Chevy Chase and how they want to be with Chevy Chase and how they miss Chevy Chase. Then we have another commercial parody called Pluckers, which is the take on Smuckers. Smuckers, it's, it was an old commercial. With a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. And Jane Curtin comes in once again in a thankless job. She starts the commercial. With a name like Pluckers, it must be good. And then Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, John Belushi, and Garrett Morris all come in and they all try to top one another with the names of disgusting jams. And the names of the jams are Nose Hair, Death Camp, Dog Vomit, Milky Pus, Painful Rectal Itch, Mangled Baby Ducks, and 1,000 Nuns and Orphans who were run over. And the final one is just a retching sound. That was the name of the jam. It was basically, in my opinion, them just trying to test the censor. I'm going to say painful rectal itch on television. Well, I'm going to say, you know, dog, I'm going to say milky pus. That might be the first time that milky pus and painful rectal itch was ever said on national television. Jane Curtin has the thankful job of closing the sketch. So she opens the sketch with a straight line and she closes the sketch with a straight line. And then all the men in between get to say all these weird, disgusting names of jam. I'm just having, everybody knows how talented Jane Curtin is. She had the hit, she was with Saturday Night Live in the 70s. She was with Kate Nally in the 80s. Uh, she did Third Rock from the Sun in the 90s. She developed characters. She became the newswoman on Saturday Night Live. Don't let this first album in, influence you on how talented the whole cast is, but especially uh, Jane Curtin and Lorraine Newman and Garrett Morris, because they really, really don't have a lot to do on this album. What they do, they do well, but given more material, you'll see how talented they are. And you know how talented they are. You've seen all the seasons. This is just the one album. This is what I'm just talking about. I'm not talking about the whole Saturday Night Live series, uh, the, the first five years where they were there. This is just this one album. I would have liked to seen it spread out more, more spotlight on each player instead of just most of it on Chevy Chase. Then we go to the word association test. That famous, famous sketch with, once again, Chevy Chase and Richard Pryor. Where Richard Pryor's interviewing for a job and Chevy Chase starts a word association and then he starts with racial slurs and they go back and forth and back and forth until Chevy Chase finally says the N-word and then that's when Richard Pryor just does a slow explosion saying that he's going to kill him. I've I've heard a couple of stories about this sketch. I heard Richard Pryor traveled with his writer, Paul Mooney, who was a fellow comedian of his. He also wrote with Richard. He, uh, he wrote with Richard on Sanford and Son. He wrote some of his movies. He helped write some of his stand-up. 
And Chevy Chase claims that he wrote this sketch. And Paul Mooney, I heard in an interview, said that he wrote this sketch. And he confronted Chevy Chase after an event one time, said that he was going to kick his ass. And he said that Chevy Chase just shrank, you know, and just whimpered and told him not to hurt him. So there's two stories on this. Chevy Chase wrote this or Paul Mooney wrote this. Whatever it is, it's a great sketch between two great comedic actors. The thing is that Richard Pryor is applying for being a work as a janitor. I, I would have liked it more if it was... Not that there's anything wrong with being a janitor, but like uh, maybe a position of power or something like that and then the word association kicks in because then it would have been even worse that these high, this high tower of learning still uses these horrible 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 words as it is this is one of the most classic sketches i've ever seen i'll just say this i don't think the sketch could be written today or if the sketch was written today it would get a lot a lot of backlash but for its time, it was very, very funny, very, very uh, pushing the edge. And it just showed what they wanted to do with Saturday Night Live, with that sketch. And then it's followed by another inappropriate that wouldn't fly today. We do the closing. Everybody, the, the, the host always comes out and close. On this album, they use Buck Henry. And he closes the album by saying, uh, uh, I just want to let you know that everybody on the staff is gay, but they're really normal people. Like, okay, so you're telling me that gay people aren't normal people? It was just a very, once again, this was 1975, 1976, a different time. But it was just a, it was supposed to be a shock joke that, oh, you know what? Everybody's gay, but guess what? That gay person is just like you and me, normal. Well, we all know that gay people are normal. I, the joke just didn't fly. The joke just didn't go anywhere. And it was sort of a, a, a lame limp out of this album. And, but we closed with Don Pardo saying goodbye. And that was the Saturday Night Live album. And what about the album? Uh, for the most part, it's a, a nice walk down memory lane. It's a huge commercial for Chevy Chase. I mentioned this before, and I'm going to say this again. I wish everybody there had more to do on this album. I wish the talent was spread out more. Maybe if it was done after seasons two or seasons three, we would have we would have seen this. The album is a a photograph or a, a phonograph of the time. And if you're a fan of Saturday Night Live and if you're a fan of any of these guys, just to hear them interacting with each other and just to hear the old sketches, it's going to bring back, going to bring back great positive memories. And as for Dan Aykroyd's specific performance, he has a, he doesn't have a lot to do, but the two sketches where he is dominantly featured, the uh, bedtime sketch and the Jimmy Carter sketch, he just nails the character. And he nails Jimmy Carter. He nails the garage mechanic, and he nails Jimmy Carter. I, Both of those sketches are just a mark of a professional on doing what he does best. Nothing but high praise for Dan Aykroyd on, on this project. He did what he did. 
and he's one of the main reasons that uh, Saturday Night Live kept going. I've heard on many, many occasions, he just kept it going. Well, congratulations on Dan Aykroyd nailing his, his two performances, his two main performances on this album. And that's it. That is another Dan Aykroyd podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please support me. You can support me here on Anchor. Or if you'd like, my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Scott White. You can visit my website, scottyblanco.com. Check out all the projects I'm working on right now. And drop me a line if you like this podcast, if you didn't like it. Would you like to hear more? Would you like to hear less? Just let me know. And uh, I will talk to you later. See you next time.